You are listening to ID On Demand, a podcast that explores the latest in the field of instructional design. I am your host, Dr. Joel Lewis Billingsley, an associate professor at the University of South Alabama. ID On Demand is your resource where professionals and experts share their path in various careers, all utilizing instructional design and innovative strategies. All right, so thank you for joining us for ID on Demand. I'm Dr. Joelle Lewis Billingsley, and it is just an honor to be able to uh, host these different conversations with alumni of the University of South Alabama Instructional Design uh, program, both master's and doctor programs. And I am excited today to have EJ LeBlanc with us. Thank you so much for joining us way from uh, Virginia and uh, just here to talk with us about all the wonderful experiences you've had and uh, your uh, current work that is innovative and that is so important to us uh, at this critical time and at a point when our field is sort of moved to the front burner, right? A more prominent role in many organizations, many sectors, it's great to be able to hear about different frameworks and tools that we can apply uh, no matter where we are, no matter what, what we're doing as instructional designers. So thank you again, um, EJ, for, for joining us. We, we're so appreciative to have you. Super delighted to be here. Thank you. So I'll tell you all a quick story uh, about EJ and uh, the master's program in instructional design development at South Alabama. Uh, he was in a course uh, that we were working on technologies, different types of things. And I can remember one of the things you'll see uh, in the lower, lower left-hand corner of the screen. I believe you were in my class when you first debuted your logo, EJ. Is that That right? is correct. That is correct. I forgot all about that with the uh, with the flash animation that we did. That's right. That is absolutely correct. Well, I'm super, <laughs> when, when I saw your presentation, I said I remember that. Uh, so, but just like your your logo, your animation was memorable. So was your experience uh, as a student. At, uh, in the master's program. And so we're just delighted that you're alumni, delighted that you're on the cutting edge of new and innovative ways of thinking and of practice. And so we're excited to really get, um, get, get going uh, on your uh, presentation to us today. And so I'm just really thinking that looking forward, we wanna make sure uh, that we're able to see you as a human performance technologist. Is that right? Oh, that's wonderful. That is correct. Uh, and, and so uh, let's go ahead and dive in. Um, so yeah, uh, I call myself a human performance technologist now, and we'll get more into why that is. Uh, but as far as I've had a lot of job titles, uh, instructional systems designer, educator, uh, sonar technician, uh, janitor, that's not on here. Uh, basically, I took my, the t at, uh, at Joel's request, I took the top part of my resume, which is just my work history, and placed that here. And you could see, you know, starting back in 1997, fresh out of high school, I went to join the Navy. And the number one takeaway from that time was uh, I learned that I loved learning about complex systems and teaching that to other people. Um, and in fact, my favorite thing was reading about them, studying 
and teaching those other people uh, about that complex system in a moment of need. So I knew that I wanted to become a teacher, which is why I went after my uh, uh, secondary English education degree and went to Mobile, Alabama at Faith Academy and was able to uh, eventually pursue my master's in instructional systems design at the University of South Alabama, uh, where I became part of this awesome program. And I, during that process, as we were just talking about, I came up with my logo, I came up with a bunch of different things, uh, but, but it was also the beginning of my very first projects that I started doing on the side, helping people with their website was my very first project, and we'll talk about that in just a bit. And right at the end of my time as an English teacher, I started on the side to work and do a long series of gigs, uh, which really have not stopped. Uh, I've, and that is my business now is essentially doing one gig after another and you know find the next contract. And people say, wow, this guy does good work. And the vast majority of the time, I don't do any advertising. Or, or whatnot. And some of these times were full-time jobs, uh, but because I always had something on the side going, I was able to say, hey, you know what? This actual job isn't for me. I'm going to go back to doing what I've been doing. And that's given me the opportunity to say no to some things and yes to others that I would not have had the opportunity to do if I wasn't constantly working, uh, for lack of a better term, a side hustle. Uh, so if we could go to the next slide. Uh, so we were talking about human performance technology. Uh, and by the way, I see that we've got Jennifer and Anna online. If you, all, if you have any questions, uh, please by all means. And, and Fred Baker, good, it's good to see you, good sir. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to uh, reach out or talk to me about something, even as we're going through the presentation. Uh, uh, so why am I calling myself a human performance technologist? Well, I believe that I, my, my mission in life is to identify and meet needs. Uh, and I think that a human performance technologist uses technology to improve human performance. I, I think it's that simple. Uh, so what, what do you need to do while you're doing that? Well, if I'm setting up a, I'm helping people across an enterprise or an organization and I'm planning out how they're going to be successful, well, that's learning and performance architecture. If I'm looking on a particular, if I'm working on a particular uh, instructional system for a particular product or, or, or service, well, that's an instructional systems design. Uh, if I'm make, making an e-learning event, I might even go down a little bit further to instructional design. If I'm developing a, a particular e-learning module, well, that's, and developing that myself, well, that's multimedia development. If I'm conceiving uh, of, of a concept or a skill or something, all, the writing is at the core of all of these skills. And so if I look at that, it's almost like this Russian doll, Russian nesting doll, where it's like, well, hey, I'm a writer today, and tomorrow I'm a human performance technologist, and tomorrow, I, the next day after that, I'm a web developer uh, or a Unity programmer. Uh, so uh, it, it really does depend upon what the need is that I'm trying to meet with which skills I bring to bear for that particular situation. Um, so again, I call myself a human performance technologist because I, I, I work to identify and meet needs. And I believe that instructional systems design at its core 
is the identifying and meeting of learning needs. Uh, so I highly recommend these particular organizations, the International Society for Performance Improvement, or ISPI, and of course the Talent Development, uh, the Association for Talent Development, or uh, uh, you could find them at td.org. Um, whatever we call ourselves, let's work together to identify and meet needs. And as we'll talk a little bit, you'll, you'll hear people say, oh, I'm a learning experience designer. And, and people will get very opinionated, for lack of a better term, about what the particular semantics of their particular branding or their particular name is. And I ask, where are you showing value, right? If you're showing value to the organization and you're, you're adding value, awesome. So thinking in this way, go, go, if we could go back one more slide. Uh, well, yeah, right there. So thinking in this way, thinking in ways that help us to think of what are the fundamental skill sets that I need to think to, to do and having a listening ear to what my client or my customer actually needs enables us all to thrive in what's called the gig economy. And one of the things that Joel, the Dr. Lou, Dr. Billingsley uh, was saying uh, uh, earlier uh, was the gig economy uh, where it's basically Anytime I've got a labor market, which is what we are in now, where I've got to, I've got, it's, it's predominated, are dominated by short-term contracts. And I go from one contract to the next contract and I, I'm, and I hopefully have enough of them lined up to where I'm able to, you know, have a, bread, have, have a dependable income. Uh, but that is what the gig economy is. And what that, and thinking in these uh, fundamental skill sets of what, what is it that I really need in order to meet my client's needs. Okay, um, right here, um, you know, one of the things we talked about with this gig economy are sort of these smaller jobs, as you mentioned. Uh, and sometimes, I guess, you know, depending on the type of job, we talked about thinking about your expertise and lining up your expertise with these smaller jobs. Sometimes maybe people think a job is too small, but what I hear you saying is that we're in a gig economy that, um, particularly around our field as instructional designers, that uh, these are could be opportunities for larger, uh, larger opportunities, right? Yes, ab absolutely. And on the next slide, um, uh, so if we look at my that timeline on my resume, we had my first side side gig where I used this WYSIWYG uh, editor, and you would think, oh, who would ever use? I think it was like Front Page Plus or one of those one of those old software tools that you would find on like the uh, uh, the Staples shelves, you know, the, the, right now. It's absolutely incredibly embarrassing to even admit this, right? But, but that was my first side gig. And I said, hey, you know, anybody could do this. Uh, it's just, it's basically a super PowerPoint. Uh, and while I was working as an English teacher, I used that WYSIWYG editor and I was able to buy my first smartphone specifically because I was working that, that side hustle. And that led to other opportunities. And so since I became since I was an English teacher, I started working that side hustle using my skills as, as an instructional systems designer primarily to provide all kinds of different learning services. And uh, uh, I've been very, very busy, uh, even whenever I was working at FINRA, which was a full-time uh, uh, subcontracting job, uh, I worked at Grimalski and Associates, uh, for, which was really for Lockheed Martin at, here in Manassas, Virginia. And then that led to a full-time employment opportunity with Lockheed Martin. But during that whole time for Lockheed Martin, 
I was working for the Veteran Affairs Acquisition Association, developing their e-learning courses and providing them with a, a customized independently hosted uh, learning management system. Uh, uh, so I was able to shift right back into doing that kind of work. And currently I'm working for a, a number of government uh, customers and commercial customers. And it's funny because my, 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 one of my gigs just dried up and evaporated because of the pandemic. Uh, and when you know it, that they just called me back today and, and set up another meeting for next week uh, to be able to resume some of the work that we thought was going to be uh, postponed. Uh, which is very nice. That's a that's a that you know that's something to be grateful for. So one of those gigs, thank you for advancing me to the next slide, is uh, is was working for, and it was right after I left Finra, uh, was I was able to begin this project, um, and I I was able to work through CSRA as EJ LeBlanc LLC uh, as a subcontractor to CSRA for which is now called Genera Dynamics. Uh, for the United States Air Force's ISR, and we mapped out, well, excuse me, someone else mapped out their uh, ISR enterprise, uh, specifically the analysis portion of that. And we were able to, uh, and essentially I was hired as a glorified graphic designer, uh, right? Uh, and so I went ahead and, and made all sorts of graphics and, and, and all sorts of wonderful things, including, if we go to the next slide, uh, uh, an interactive infographic, which is powered by Unity. I don't know if you want to click on that while I talk about this. They might be able to go to the link. I don't want to like, you know, take take off from it. But uh, if if uh, there's a YouTube video that's associated with that, but we don't have to worry about that. If you if if you want to see it, I've got it up uh, later on. If someone who has a question about it or whatnot. Uh, but essentially, we were able to show this interactive infographic using this tool called Unity. Uh, which is a 3D gaming engine, and it was amazing. And it was able to really help out my my customers. We were able to really visualize exactly where we were going for that moment. Uh, this was just a demo, a, a demonstration. Uh, and then the whole contract, the whole contract that I was associated with got cut, like the whole thing. Um, and so where where do I go from there? Well, fortunately, I had several other gigs and I kept on working on them. However, for this particular gig, one of the things that uh, they asked me to visualize was the OV1 for uh, their enterprise. And, and I said, what's, what's an OV1? This guy says, operational view one. I was like, well, what's, a, what's an operational view one? And, uh, uh, oh, there you go. Uh, what's an operational view one? Uh, well, it's the, the overall look of the enterprise. And so I went ahead and looked at the, uh, where that came from, and if we go to the next slide, if I and so I want to find out where that came from, can we go to the next slide? I might be trying to take you to a to a link there. But, uh, oh, back here. Hello? I could share my screen if you would like. 
Is everything all right? Yes, everything's good. I just wanted to, it was kept taking me to the internet. So we'll just keep going. I'm going to, you can, if you want to share, I think I've given you opportunity to do that. Okay, let me share my screen. Or I can pull it up either way. Okay. And so first thing is this right here, share. And you should now be seeing my screen. Um, and so I did have this up and ready, so I'll share it to share it with you now. Uh, so this is the demo of the uh, of the Unity module that we made uh, using that you know I put together for the customer using Unity. And there's the user interface. It's very simple. Can you show us in the uh, show format. Oh, is it not there? Can you not see this? Yeah, show us in the show format. I think we see the entire presentation on the left. Or if you need for me to. Oh, okay. Well, it's only showing. I see. Forgive me. Uh, well, I just keep on going. Uh, so with the, the biggest thing, you know, I could if you have a question on that, would like to see that, just let me know. Uh, and switch screens. There we go. So the biggest thing that that what I learned about OV1, the operational view one, was that was uh, basically like the name, the major uh, uh, visualization method for this concept called the Department of Defense Architectural Framework, which was this way that the Air Force and the entire Department of Defense uses in order to model out their their inter their enterprises which led me to, uh, I took a course on a three-day course on using Sparks Enterprise Architect for how to use it to map out UM, uh, systems using UML and SysML, our unified modeling language and the systems modeling language, which brought me to systems engineering. And I started studying systems engineering and in particular model-based systems engineering. And when you know it, I saw right off the bat a lot of similarities between classical systems engineering and uh, classical instructional systems design. And I'm, I'm specifically referring to like the Dick and Carey model, uh, you know, which we would normally refer to today as a, as, the, as a traditional analysis, design, development, implementation, and evaluation, or the ADDIE model. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, and it's almost like uh, there's classical systems engineering and then they have gone off and kept on growing and we shunted off as a fork, but we haven't been keeping back, keeping back in touch with our roots. Um, so, uh, and from that, I said, well, what I, what I wanted to do was find out how we could get back, how instructional systems design could get back and modernize uh, because these systems engineers are moving forward and they're doing all of these amazing things, but they're not even, they're forgetting that these training uh, and learning performance professionals, are, they're, they're not even sitting at the table. They're not even an afterthought. Uh, we, we are not even an afterthought uh, in the vast majority of these decisions. And so I chose to look for a job at a company like Lockheed Martin. I sent out a number of different uh, uh, resumes and whatnot and finally found an opportunity uh, where I was able to be hired with Kromalski and Associates, and I was a technical writer, and that led to me having a full-time job with them. And I saw very quickly that uh, the technical writing and the uh, training teams were heading into this perfect storm where there was all of these changing source documents and this crushing technical debt, and the, the schedule would shift all of the time, and 
the, they, they'd be in the process of making uh, 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 the PowerPoints that were associated with the training are all these XML-based uh, technical documentation. Uh, they call them interactive electronic technical manuals or IEDMs. And they'd be in the process of making, uh, we would be in the process of making all of these very complicated, convoluted, uh, uh, process-intensive uh, uh, performance solutions. And in the middle of making them, the whole system would change, which we would have to go back and get all this. And even the way that we had to get screenshots from a classified system and bring that from the classified and declassified and bring it to an unclassified system, it was brutal. And, and, uh, and it wasn't going to get better anytime soon, as, the, as, the, as we found out. However, in that tense environment, it was very easy it would have been very easy for people to point fingers at each other and say, ah, oh, you dropped the ball again, or ah, oh, I can't believe those guys, those, those, those technical writers, they don't know what they're doing, or oh, those training professionals, they always get it wrong. And as W. Edwards Demings, w. Edwards Demings says, 94% of the time where there's a problem with a systemic, with, 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 there's a problem with a performance issue, it's not the actual individual contributor's fault. Instead, 94% of the time, it's a management's fault, which means that if you put a good person in a bad system, the system will win every single time. And so what you've got to do is map out that system and understand it and, 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 and understand those 6% of cases uh, uh, and how you address those. So if we, I'll go to the next slide. So at Lockheed Martin, I was exposed to DevOps and the concept of the Phoenix Project. And in the Phoenix Project, it's a novel, and I'll show you some of the cast of characters in just a bit. But uh, in this novel, this guy named Eric says, we started restoring, restoring sanity to our efforts whenever we figured out what our constraints were, what are the choke points that are causing us to not be able to be as effective as we would like to be. Um, and then we made sure that we protected that constraint and did whatever we could to expand it after that, and then make sure the work flows through that. And that leads us to talk about how in the, in the Phoenix Project, there's this person named Bill Palmer, who's this director, and overnight, he's promoted to be the senior vice president of IT operations. And he is in a world of hurt because they're, 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 they're supposed to work on this uh, project that's going to save the company and bring everything back to the glory days called the Phoenix Project, as if from the ashes they will rise. And instead, because of the way things are set up, it's this terrifying hellscape of, uh, of forms and request forms and, and, and servers crashing. And, the, uh, the, and then it was followed up by the Unicorn Project, which tells the same story. It's like a, it's part sequel, part uh, a parallel story from Maxine Winter's perspective, showing a senior, uh, so she's a senior software engineer and she, this story is fascinating, not only because it talks about what it's like to be a woman. Um, EJ, uh, before you log into that, that story, we don't want to cut you off. Ms. Willett does have a question about oh, yes. something you mentioned, and I just wanted to draw it to your attention. She asks, uh, she says, hi, everyone, EJ, you've mentioned how one gig led to the next, largely by word of mouth, I think. Can yes. you speak a bit about marketing yourself and or your points of differentiation? Uh, so offering unique value propositions. This is actually one of the things that I'm working on right now. Um, and there's a whole tool set of modern marketing, Facebook, data analytics. I'm not the guy to talk to about that. 
what I am uh, is basically someone that just does his best every day, uh, works hard, tries to be very patient, very humble, uh, you know, and, and then from there is able to add value uh, as a, in a collaborative effort. And people speak about that and then I get my next gig. I, I don't, uh, there's something very providential about that. Uh, but that, that is what it is at my, at my current rate of performance. And I would like to talk more about that in a bit. Uh, thank you for bringing that question in. Uh, uh, but yes, yeah, so I'm definitely not uh, an ultra uber entrepreneur. And even in my, I'm trying to expand. I've got one guy working for me part-time uh, for some of the contracts or whatnot, but it's something that, uh, uh, that I would like to, to talk about more. Um, all right, so, um, so very briefly, uh, the, the reason why that's important from the IT and the, op the, 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 the software development side, why the, the Phoenix Project and the Unicorn Project work so well together is that they, sh they show how the software development team uh, would, would make that uh, presentation or make that software tool and they would toss it over the silo to the IT operations people who would take that software tool and put it on their, their, their IT servers. And they would, uh, uh, they would call it tossing pigs over fences. And so because the, the software tool, whatever that was, wouldn't work. It would call it, they would have too many, too many calls to the servers. It would cause all of these problems and it would die immediately uh, after arrival and they would have to, do all sorts of surgery and heart, you know, support and whatnot to get that working. So that made the dev and the ops very, very angry at each other. And it leads to very, very angry neighbors. However, I'm here to tell you that that's not limited to software development and IT operations. So uh, it's marketing and business development, systems engineering and hardware engineering. It's all of them and training, uh, right? Working together. Um, and so why why it is important to know about DevOps and these times where silos are, are hitting each other and, 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 uh, and, uh, and causing so much pain and vexation for each other, most of the time completely unintentionally just trying to do their jobs. Uh, DevOps matters because there's a solution for these problems. And the people that use DevOps are able to be elite performers uh, and they're able to, to, to win the marketplace. For example, uh, they're, they're shown to be 2,604 uh, times faster in recovering from instruments, uh, incidents. They're able to deploy code 46 times more frequently. They're 1.53 times more likely to meet or exceed business goals. And they're almost double more than likely to recommend their team to other people. So whenever you're thinking about the big picture of DevOps, I actually took this, uh, this concept from a, a couple of these concepts to try to explain the big picture of DevOps from a course uh, by Richard Sroder on Pluralsight. I highly recommend it. Uh, you gotta remember CALMS, culture, automation, lean, metrics, and sharing. And so you gotta remember your people, you automate wherever possible, you, uh, you keep your principles lean, and this is specifically from uh, lean, lean manufacturing. Uh, 
then you measure your process progress and you constantly share. And that's a, that's the important part where we can come into play and add a lot of value. Um, so the three ways of DevOps uh, uh, are flow, feedback, and a culture of continuous experimentation and learning. So this is almost like, and I don't know if we still study at University of South Alabama, uh, Peter Senge's work, uh, The Fifth Discipline, but if, I highly recommend it. Uh, and and the, specifically because uh, if we have a profound appreciation of the system we're, and we know how work flows across silos from one, one system to the next and how that impacts our customer and everyone across the board has a shared understanding about that, specifically enabled through that continuous feedback, which is the second way, we're able to have a place where we're able to share and exchange ideas freely just like Peter Singer talks about in the fifth discipline, it's the logos, the free exchange of ideas. And that helps us be in a safe environment to where we can share uh, and constantly learn. And that leads us to the five ideals of Dev DevOps. You want things to be local, right next to each other, simple. You want to be able to have a, a place where you could focus on your work, flow throughout the work, and have a sense of joy of being able to perform at your best. You want to constantly improve. You want to constantly get better. You don't do that if you don't feel psychologically and yes, physically safe. Um, and then you want everyone to have a shared purpose, a shared mission, uh, a shared vision where everyone's able to see what the goal is. And that goal is to improve our customers, whoever they might be, or their lives. And so the opportunity DevOps provides us as learning professionals is there's a lot of confusion in the discussions right now on what the instructional design field is, and most of it centers around, is instructional design dead? Um, and so uh, we could go to be obviously better, uh, valuable business partners. And so we need to partner with the business because classical-based, document-based, writing down papers, writing PowerPoints, and even e-learning modules that are still document-based is dying. It can't keep up. Uh, we got to remember to think in systems. We got to train the task, not to the toy. We must focus on accomplishments. Those underlying principles aren't going to die, but there is this unrelenting information tsunami that is that is the pandemic that that just came out. Uh, that that the, the the whole world is now shifting how they do business, and they have to spin on a dime. We as learning professionals have to be part of that process, and if we fight the waves we're going to lose. We can't fight the waves. We have to partner with the business and partner and understand them at every step along the way so we could become a, and help facilitate our organization, be that a school, be that uh, 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 a factory, a hospital, whatever it is, we, uh, uh, we must become partners with them and help our organizations flow. Um, so what is that flow? Well, this is uh, from, again, from that Pluralsight course. He, uh, Richard Schroeder posted this uh, DevOps tool chain. And if you look at the bottom, you'll see they start with the planning, the issue, control, issue tracking, source control. They have the continuous development, the uh, uh, integration and deployment, configuration management, cloud platforms, and monitoring and logging. And it's very, very eerily similar to the way classical systems engineering does its uh, you know, analysis and, and, and the way that we as learning professionals think about adding. And so 
However, it's done in such a way to where there's continuous improvement. And if you look on the side, you'll see that there's these two common denominators that enable the whole thing to work. And that's communication and knowledge sharing. I don't know, do we know anybody that's responsible for teaching people how to, you know, are sharing knowledge and making sure people know things? Uh, well, that's us. Uh, and so here we are provided this op awesome opportunity to no longer focus on being sages from the stage, dropping didactic knowledge bombs on people, but instead focusing on making sure that people are able to, to add value with where, where they're at and certifying that people are able to do their jobs. And so I propose a new model that's where I'm working on now called the Communications and Learning for DevOps, which is a performance support model, which intends to facilitate efforts to break across all those functional silos, exploit those constraints, and improve uh, human performance. So communications and learning professionals, communications, anybody that's in marketing, social media teams, technical writers, strategic communication teams, their job is to capture that source of truth. And their job is to disseminate that, to capture the voice of the customer. What does the customer really need? What do our stakeholders really need? What, is our, what, is it, what, what does our CEO want, want everyone to know? So they partner with everyone and they make sure that everybody has that information. Our job is no longer to create the didactic knowledge bonds, the, the, the declarative knowledge, uh, for lack of a better, better term. Our job is to use those systems such as uh, AR technologies, VR technologies, uh, even e-learning modules, but the content itself is automatically populated where we don't lift a finger by and large to, 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 to make sure that the topic is correct. We make sure that the task is correct and that people know how to do their job. I'm on my way to go teach people how to use the, the new Super Whammadyne camera system. On my way there, the, the new Super Whammadyne camera system that everybody's going to be buying, the whole model just changed. They're, they're, it's now going to have a whole new lens that totally messed up all of my PowerPoints. But alas, I'm not, I'm not using PowerPoints. I'm using an augmented reality system that was automatically uh, 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 populated with that information. And I show up and I, I, I teach people how to use the new system without batting, without missing a beat. Um, so if you want to learn more about Caldo or any of the things that I talked about, please, uh, please follow me. And uh, if you have any questions, please uh, let me know. All right, EJ, that was very informative. I think that many of the concepts that you talked about are so important to us as we're you know, growing as instructional designers. One of the things that really strikes me, um, I think I hear you saying is your continuous uh, professional development. Are there things and tools that you can think about that you can share with our audience today about what the way that you do that? Sure, um, I'm a little, um... I don't know if I'm the best person to talk to because I, I have all the things. <laughs> I do have a subscription to Pluralsight, LinkedIn Professional, uh, PactPub, uh, uh, Unity Pro Learning Subscription, uh, all sorts of other different, uh, different subscriptions. I, I spend tons of money on Amazon. Uh, as you can see, I've got books and books galore. Uh, but the two, the books that I would highly recommend uh, are the Phoenix Project, the Unicorn Project, the DevOps Handbook, um, anything by Geary Rumler. Uh, there's the, uh, I don't know if y'all have heard, heard that, and uh, there's a wonderful um, uh, innovative performance support by Godfrey and Mosher 
essentially what I'm working on is a performance support model. Uh, and uh, as far as what the where, way I would do that is another book I would recommend is good old uh, Robert uh, uh, C. Martin. He created this book called the clean or the series of books called the clean coder. And in there, he talks about what life is like as a professional programmer where you're constantly getting overwhelmed with information and how do you remain a professional while you're trying to, and so uh, constantly advance and, and, and learn. One of the things he talks about is how you can't uh, charge for your, your customer to teach you how you're supposed to keep abreast of the latest, latest, greatest information. So what do you do? You, you spend 40 hours a week on your job and you spend an additional 20 hours a week on your professional development. And it just so happens that most of the time I get, I get paid a lot of times for my professional development because of those sidekicks. Uh, so I want to make sure that I'm sharp on articulate storyline. So my, it's, it's just that instead of doing my, as a, as a demo or a kata, if you will, to keep my skills sharp, um, I am, uh, I'm actually doing it. And that brings, that brings me to this awesome, have y'all, have, there, there's this awesome anime called All You Need Is Kill, uh, where they made this movie out of it called uh, uh, Live, Die, Repeat with uh, Tom, Tom, uh, uh, Tom Cruise. And uh, in, in, the, in the manga itself, uh, there's this phrase called Kiri Oboru, which means strike down your enemy and learn. So in, the, in that story, he's able to learn because he's actually doing it and then gets murdered. Like it's like ridiculously destroyed. Uh, and so, <laughs> and then he's able to reset back at the beginning of the day, but still retains all the knowledge and skills of knows exactly how things are going to pan out. Okay, well, this time I'm going to do this. After several hundred iterations of that, he's able to be the very best soldier on the battlefield. Uh, so in the same way, we can't just talk about whatever it is. We have to do it. And then, hey, you get better at it. So talk to us a little bit about the future of instructional design. You know, we're sort of in the middle of a heightened uh, awareness of our field and moving forward. What are some of the things that we need to be able to do um, our future of our field uh, as instructional designers? Uh, give us your thoughts on that. Sure. Um, so I, I believe that the future of instructional systems design is going back to our roots. Like there's this whole thing. I, whenever I attended the, the ITSIC 2019 uh, conference, uh, there is a lot of fan, fanfare for this new learning engineering uh, 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 discipline. And I was not impressed not to give any umbrage to the people that were doing that. They're awesome, amazing people, far better than I. Uh, at what they're doing. Uh, however, whenever they were fighting on, you know, where they, they were very clearly trying to say, hey, instructional, the difference between an instructional designer, not instructional systems designer, but instructional designer and a learning engineer was that there's a rigor. Oh, they've got to, they, 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 they've got to make sure that they know their science along with the actual ex, uh, discipline and execution. These are all things that, thanks to my awesome education at South Alabama, 
I was able to do right from the get-go and have a human performance technology mindset where everything is based upon data as much as you possibly can. Uh, and, and you use evidence-based evidence methodologies in everything that you do, uh, but still try to deliver the art and the soul that meets the need and, and provides a compelling vision. Um, uh, so does that make sense? Yes, yes, very much so. Um, any questions from our audience uh, at this time as we wrap up our session for ID on Demand? We'd I, like to, oh, go ahead, Vic. No, go ahead. Hey, Fred. Hello. I was just gonna, I was just gonna see, so you're talking about the integration of this DevOps model uh, alongside the, in the classic instructional design models. And you know, there's, there are a lot of freelancers, for example, in uh, the instructional design field. So, and they typically engage with sort of medium-sized businesses, right? There are large-scale instructional designers, but they typically have, larger firms have those in-house. Smaller firms typically don't have the infrastructure. So could you talk just a little bit about uh, maybe just two or three practical ways that a, a freelance instructional designer who maybe doesn't have a seat at the table can sort of influence these medium-sized organizations to start thinking along the lines of this systemic design DevOps sort of perspective? Yes. Longer than uh, I meant for that to be, but. No, 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 that was good. That, uh, no matter what, it's awesome to hear you. Uh, so the, the, for me, the, the, that's actually what my ideal target market is right now is a small organization. For instance, I tried, and like I was talking about Kiriobru, uh, where you do it once and you just get mercilessly slaughtered. I did that at Lucky Mart. Uh, <laughs> and uh, long story short, it, did, you know, it didn't go well. One of the key lessons that I learned from this is that you can't do uh, uh, Caldo, this DevOps-oriented kind of thing, if they're not truly doing DevOps. Uh, and so uh, there is this huge crushing weight of everything that they've already built, and you call that technical debt, that makes it very difficult for them to change and, and, and on the fly shift to where they want to go. So as an independent consultant, you don't have to necessarily have the skill set to, to map out value streams, to have uh, Lean Six Sigma expertise, but you could work with other people and say, hey, these are what people need to do. And so you, if I could partner with you to map out your value stream, to figure out exactly what your needs are across all of your different work centers, if we could work together to prioritize where we should focus our learning and training resources, because we can't do it all at once, but let's start small and build big. And hey, this, if we do this in a way that's, that enables automation, that enables your company to scale, right? And so that's, that's, what, that's what we're trying to do. I was once at a, at a shop that I won't mention the exact name uh, of, 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 of a company that served thousands of people. And I tried and failed uh, to convince the stakeholders that be uh, that it was a good idea for us to automate. And this is before I've even heard about DevOps or even Agile at that point. Um, uh, and whenever I was trying to convince them, hey, we should automate wherever possible in order to save work and look at all this work that we could save, um, uh, it was shot down because we were such a small shop of only nine people. Why? What's, what's the, who cares? We're only nine people. Why are we going to even invest 
all this time for only nine people. Uh, well, that's all the more reason why you should focus on automation and make the most of every man hour. Uh, and that person did not see the value of that at that particular time. But let me tell you, the world is becoming, if not DevOps per se, automated oriented. Uh, and, and so the ability for us to maximize every man hour uh, uh, and, and make the most of that uh, is, it, it cannot be understated. So I think, I think that provides you an awesome opportunity as an independent consultant. Did I see you have a question page or did I? Um, just in general, I was thinking, and you've kind of touched on that in your last response. Um, you know, I'm, we're, we're immersed in our world of the sudden changes um, caused by the pandemic and, you know, how it's influenced what we do in higher ed. And I'm in conversations all the time where we're seeing some silver linings, if you will, you know, in terms of as an instructional designer, some things we wanted to see happen that are happening very quickly out of necessity right now. So um, my general question, I guess, is, you know, how is this um, some of the unintended consequences in your work and your world? How is this affecting you? And what do you predict to for the future? And as we move through this, this new, new existence? So I think that, um, so people have been fighting for a seat at the table, right? Uh, people have been fighting for, um, uh, for training professionals to be able to be partners with the organization. I think that DevOps and tools like that provide us the, the pristine. They're giving it to us on a silver platter. They're, they're saying, hey, you know, uh, we need help, right? But we don't hear it that way. We think automation bad. It's going to take away my job, uh, right? Uh, but they're giving it to us on a silver platter. And so I think that if we have a humble heart and we're able to say, hey, here's, here's what I think you're saying. Let me, here's what I think you're saying your needs are. Here's what I believe that we could do in order to make, make meet your needs. This is what I intend to do in order to meet that need. I think that enables us as instructional designers to shift from being order takers. Uh, you know, there's a lot of times where, you know, the, 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 the CEO or our customer says, thou shalt go out and, and by all means, the customer may not be right, but they are never wrong. So, they, so you deliver, uh, right? Uh, but after you build that relationship of trust, uh, you're able to say, hey, boss, this is what I think we should be doing. And hey, I know you asked for this, but here's this other thing that I think. So I think that if we take I, the future that I see for us as instructional systems designers is to partner with every single silo across the value stream. And right now, we are the tail of the flea. We are the flea at the tail of the dog in a lot of cases, especially if we're customer-centric, if we're customer-centric tr training. And even if we're in focus on the internal side of training, like training people internally, um, uh, we, in most cases, from what I have seen, the people make the decisions, that, and then there's this order from on high, thou shalt make this training intervention. And, and I think that a lot gets lost in the translation for that. So I think that, does that answer your question? I think we're going to be partners and be facilitated through automation to be the people that we were meant to be in the first place which are people that enable performance. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And I see that, that opportunity to shift that quickly right now. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Paige, for that wonderful question. Thank you, Fred, as well. Um, you know, everyone for attending. EJ, you know, we appreciate you sharing your experiences with us and talking about your journey as an instructional designer. I think a lot of times that path looks different for a lot of us because we're in different sectors, we're in different contexts, but there are some fundamental things that you shared with us today that I believe we can take with us and be able to apply no matter where we are. And so thank you so much for that. And so for everyone who joined us, thank you. I be on demand every Friday at noon. We'll be featuring more alumni from our program. And uh, EJ, we wish you all the best in all of your continued work. Uh, and keep in touch with us. Let us know how you're doing. Let us know um, all the, the great things that you're able to do. And we look forward to seeing a book about your model uh, coming in the near future. Also, anyone, if you need any resources uh, that EJ has mentioned, uh, uh, we will make sure that you, we provide that um, for you. If you'd like that, please contact me at lewis at southalabama.edu or you can contact EJ. Um, there's his contact information on the screen. So you guys have a wonderful weekend. Thank you again for joining us for ID On Demand. See you soon. Thank you.